1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Today is Easter Sunday, or what many call Resurrection Sunday, and that's because we stand in a long heritage of Christians throughout history, spanning centuries, spanning cultures and countries and classes uh, uh, that have all set aside this day as a day to declare and to celebrate the good news that Christ has risen indeed. That is what makes Christianity a worldview of good news, precisely because Jesus has risen. And all evil, all sin, all death have lost their grip on the world. Hope is here, and Jesus will return to make all things new. A world without dictators and poverty, without depression and pandemics. That is the good news that we celebrate, that Jesus is risen. And so my hunch is that many of us need a word of good news uh, this morning. We need a word of good news this season, a word of hope as we try and make sense of just this crazy season uh, that we live in, that our world and that our nation is sort of going through. Now is the time in this uncertain uh, in these uh, times of uncertainty to really consider the profound difference that Jesus and his resurrection makes, uh, and it makes all the difference. And so I want us to turn now to a passage of scripture that is just oozing with hope. Hope in times of difficulty. Hopes in times, hope in times of uncertainty. And that passage is going to be in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I know Kelsey already read it, but I'm going to read for you guys uh, uh, this first verse here. Uh, but first, let me give you sort of the roadmap for where we're going. First, we're going to talk about uh, where the hope we need really comes from. And then we're going to talk about where that hope is needed, like where in our lives is that hope truly needed? And lastly, we're going to talk about how we can ground ourselves in that hope. And so first, let's look at where the hope we need comes from. Begin reading with me in verse 3. 
Uh, I'm actually going to read just verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, let's unpack that verse. You see right there on the front of the verse, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to dig into that because no one talks like that anymore, right? No one says blessed be. Uh, but that, 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 that phrase, that word blessed be is this Greek word, uh, eulogetast. Eulogetas, which uh, where we get the, the the word eulogy from, and it means to honor, uh, to praise, to adore, basically to make much of. So uh, Peter, the author of of this passage of scripture, uh, what what he's saying when he says, "Blessed be the God of uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." He's gushing forth. He is 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 eulogetas. Uh, he is gushing forth uh, in praise and worship. And so that begs the question: Why why this exuberant response? Why this joyful response? And it's because it says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That is what makes Peter gush forth in praise. That's where the hope uh, that we need comes from. It comes from God, from his great mercy, because he is the God of hope. Now, we need to slow down and talk about how amazing that really is, that God would really do anything at all to show us mercy and to offer us hope. Like, it's difficult for us to sort of wrap our minds around how big, awesome, holy, and majestic God really, truly is. But the Bible tells us that the difference between us and God isn't just like the difference between uh, my kids and me, where like my kids are smaller than me, they're younger than me, and I'm just uh, bigger and stronger and um, hopefully smarter, right? Uh, so God's not just bigger than us. He's not just the same categories as us, uh, but, but more. God is just by the sheer nature of who he is, he is ontologically different. He is a whole other category in and of himself. He's what we like to say is, as, is the gold standard of all that is true, good, and beautiful. And so the reason that truth, goodness, and beauty are things that we search for in every culture throughout every century is because we're made for it. We're made to behold it. We're made to know it and to see it and to delight in it. It's because we're made in the image of a God who is all those things to the nth degree. He is the gold standard. And as the creator and the sustainer of all that is, he does not owe us a thing. Right? If God is God, if He made us, if He is ontologically different, if He's a category in and of, uh, a whole other category in and of Himself, then really, a God like that does not owe us a single thing. Yet, when sin broke our world, when our sin broke the universe, ushering in evil, sickness, death, and the like, God could not just leave us, or God, could he could have just left us to ourselves. But is that what he does? No. It says, out of his great mercy, he has 
caused us to be born again to a living hope. He got involved. He came. He got involved in the fullest sense of that word through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I love the way that the theologian Andreas Kostenberger uh, puts this. He says, while humanity languished in depravity, God took the initiative in salvation. The thought here is that of a sovereign Lord who makes an act of unprompted and undeserved favor to his subjects and does so in a very personal appearance. You see, that's why it's called mercy. God didn't owe it to us. We didn't deserve it. It was just out of his mercy. Now, I don't mean to offend you, but God didn't do it because you're awesome, right? Like, God doesn't offer us a living hope. He didn't come to save us in Jesus because he saw something special in you or in me or because there's something particularly like honorable about you or about me. His sole purpose uh, to saving us has nothing to do with anything in us, but it has everything to do with something in him, his nature, his mercy. And Peter, he calls it a great mercy. In other words, it's enough to meet our gravest needs. There's a lot of it. It's mercy that abounds to forgive our past, our present, and our future. His mercy is, uh, it, it goes on. And Peter, the apostle Peter, he knew this better than any. Those of you that logged into our Good Friday experience uh, just a couple days ago uh, know from, from my portion of teaching that, that, that Peter, he, den- he denied Jesus. Uh, he he denied Jesus three times just uh, uh, almost like a moment after he, he just promised that he never would do that. Uh, when Jesus said, you guys will all deny me, you guys will all end up turning your backs on me, Peter was like, no, not me. I will never fall away. I'll never do that. And so if anyone knows about the mercy of God and how much we need it, it's Peter. And see the mercy, and, and so he's just gushing about it. He's starting this letter that he is writing to uh, a group of Christians spread all throughout uh, the ancient Near East, uh, throughout Asia Minor. And, uh, and he's writing to encourage them. And he just can't help but start this letter of encouragement by gushing about the mercy of God. You see, the mercy of God is really the point of the whole gospel story. Though all the scriptures are a record and narrative of God and his mercy. The Bible is a story about him. But in the West, we want to make it a story about us, about how to find meaning, about how to find purpose in life, about how to get ahead and maybe be successful. We look to the Bible for some hot tips for living, how to be a happy person. Now, the Bible does help us with all these things, but the Bible is not primarily about us. It's for us, but it's about Jesus. It's about God's greatness and his mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the big idea of this book, of the scriptures. That is the big E on the I chart that we just cannot miss. It's what makes Peter gush forth in praise. It's why we sung those words uh, just a little bit ago. Streams of mercy never ceasing, They call for songs of loudest praise. And what is it that God has done according to his great mercy? What does this verse tell us? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
Now, I love the way he articulates it with that phrase, uh, living uh, hope. Living hope. It's, this, it's a hope that's alive. It grows and it thrives. It's the opposite of a hope that disappoints and lets down. Think about how much our lives are marked by letdowns and disappointments. Or how about just this cultural moment that we live in uh, uh, right now? How many of us are realizing that the things that we sort of clung to for hope and meaning that we thought would always be there for us, that they don't always last? That's what our disappointments reveal to us. Anytime that you're disappointed, like gravely disappointed uh, and let down, it, it really reveals where our hope really lies. And the need is for a living hope. The need we all have is for a living hope, a hope that won't let us down because it's rightly placed. So how do we get that hope? Uh, it says here in verse three, that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, that is where we get the living hope that we need. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was physically and literally murdered and killed. He had no pulse, no breath in his lung. His his, his hair was matted down by his dried up blood. He had uh, 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 nails that were pierced through his hands and his feet. Uh, he had a, 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 what do you call it, um, a spear uh, stuck into his lung. He was dead in the fullest sense of that word. And as Christians, we believe that he was buried in a tomb where his body laid from Friday until uh, uh, Friday afternoon until Sunday morning, which is the day that he rose from the grave to claim victory over all see, evil, sin, and death. That is what Christians believe. We truly believe that all of that happened. That is what we're celebrating. Now, we don't think that this is just merely what the Bible says, but that it's also historically backed. We believe that this actually happened in history. You have to wonder why it is that more songs have been sung, sung and written about Jesus than anybody else. More books have been penned about him than anyone else. It's why he's more debated about than anyone else. He's the only person that every other major religion just has to try and make sense of. Every major religion has feels like they have to uh, 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 make sense of and explain uh, the historic Jesus. Uh, his power and influence just cannot be denied. Even the most hardened skeptic has to reckon with that fact. You've got 2,000 years and billions and billions of Christians who all believe in the risen Christ. And I'm not like a static statistician guy, but those are some pretty impressive numbers for a homeless man from Nazareth. We believe in the resurrection. We truly believe in the resurrection. That's why we're here. And Peter says it's through that resurrection, through that historic event, through something that actually happened in history, something that we can look back on. It is through the historic resurrection of the Son of God that we are offered mercy, hope, and a new living, uh, a new life, a living hope that we truly need.
Now, secondly, I want us to sort of like unpack where that hope is needed. It's needed in a few areas or for a few reasons. One, it's needed to, to just make us new. We need to be made new. I want you to focus on a singular phrase in the middle of verse 3. It says, he has caused us, Jesus has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And what does it mean to be born again? It means to be given a new life in Jesus. Every single one of us has a physical birth, right? That we celebrate every year on our birthday. But here, we're t- what we're talking about is a new spiritual birth. The idea is that we all need is that we all need saving, but we need we we need saving from something more than anything. It's not just for, uh, 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 salvation from what's out there. It's it's salvation for what's in here. You see, the Bible says that we are all uh, physically born as totally depraved creatures who fall short of God's glory in all that we do, all that we think, all that we are. You don't have to be a person of faith to know that something is deeply wrong with humanity. Francis Schaeffer has, has this, um, what I think is a really helpful uh, illustration. He says, you know, like if every baby was born with a tape recorder tied around their neck that recorded uh, all the moral judgments that we make about other people. And then he says, what if uh, on judgment day, God, instead of opening up his word, opening up his law, what if he just played that tape recorder for us? And what if he just uh, judged us uh, according to the thousands of moral judgments that we've made against other people? Would any of us stand? No, we all would fail. Not a single one of us can even meet our own judgments, uh, much less God's. Even the secular uh, genius, Albert Einstein, he once said, it is easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of man. You see, we need to be made new. If we want living hope, we need to be made new. And the good news is that Jesus secured for us a hope that makes us new. This hope is also needed, secondly, to give us a forever future. We all long for a sense of forever, right? Death stings. The Bible says that death has a sting, and that a lot of us can relate to that, right? Like if you've ever lost a loved one, you, you get that, 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 uh, what the Bible says when it says that death has a sting. In verse 3, read it again. It says, Uh, uh, that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through, uh, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So when is this last time that he's talking about? He's talking about when Jesus is going to return, his second coming. You see, when Jesus returns, all evil, all suffering, all death will be fully swallowed up as his victory from the grave comes to its full fruition. Peter describes this eternal inheritance as imperishable, meaning it can't grow old. It's undefiled, meaning nobody can can change it or, or taint it. It's unfading. That means it lasts and it gets better and better every single day. No matter what it is that you're dealing with today, no matter what it is that you're wrestling with today, if you are in Christ, you are moving toward glory. 
And there is a day and a time where you will experience hope, the uh, hope and glory, the hope and glory of Christ in all of its fullness. Verse five says, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that word guarded is the Greek word phureo. Phureo, and it's, this, it, it, it's a military term. It gives us this picture of a fortress. I want you to think of the strength of God. I mean, if God exists, if he's the one who made and sustains everything, if he's God, the Lord God Almighty, the one whose voice uh, uh, made all that there is, whose voice has the sound of roaring waters, the, the, the might of thunder. Think of the strength of that God. And now consider that that God, the God who is sovereign, even over hurricanes, even over pandemics, that God is guarding you, guarding your heart and soul for that day. You see, in Christ, not even death can hold us down. Jesus has secured for us uh, an eternal future where there will be no more groanings for hope, no more grieving over death, no more guilt for our sin. The, the, the old uh, Reformed theologian, John Calvin, he says, there is no element and no part of the world which being touched as it were with a sense of its present misery does not intensely hope for resurrection. I think what Calvin says really relates to people across all cultures. We all have this sense that things are not what they should be. And there's a sense in which we all hope for a resurrection, a future where Jesus's perfection uh, 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 will be realized, where his perfect kingdom will be restored, a world free of all corruption and evil, free of coronavirus and anxiety, where only that which is true, good, and beautiful will be preserved and will prevail and never fade or decay. The lost will be found on that day. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. The hungry will be fed. The poor will be provided for. The voiceless will sing praises. The abused and oppressed will be finally vindicated. And all of us together for all eternity, all of us in Jesus will enjoy the glory of our God and all of his majesty, all of his beauty, all of his love forever. That is the future that the resurrection secures for us. Amen. <laughs> the resurrection also secures for us a living hope uh, that, that gives us a present power. I want you to read verses 6 through 7 with me. Verses 6 through 7. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, here Peter describes how the hope of Jesus really bears weight on the here and the now. Notice the words that he uses. Grief, trial, testing. He's talking about the hard stuff of life. The hard, the hard stuff that in these uncertain times, many of us are kind of feeling the tension of. 
And when Peter says, look, you rejoice in this hope, though for a little while, while you've always been grieved by various trials, the, the people he's talking to, when he says you, he's, his intended audience includes all kinds of people. Rich people, young people, old people, people who are longtime Christians, people who are new Christians. He's talking to the elect exiles, all the Christians throughout Asia Minor, uh, where the gospel was spreading at the time. And yet, he writes as if suffering is a universal problem. You see, in a world broken with sin, Peter knows that suffering does not discriminate. We all deal with it. And this is one of the, one th one of the things that I just love about the Bible. One of the things I love about the scriptures is that it's just honest about the hard stuff of life. That life is sometimes difficult and things are not always what they should be. The scriptures validate that for us. We see that Jesus, even, when he stood uh, by the graveside of his dear friend, uh, he wept. And in, 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 in that account of him weeping, it says he was weeping that was sort of like this, uh, this mix of sadness and anger because his friend had died. Jesus got angry at death. He wept. When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he would have to die on the cross in our place for our sins. He prayed to God in anguish, God the Father. He prayed in anguish. Jesus, God the Son, prayed to God the Father in anguish. Lord, if there's any way for us to do this uh, without me having to go to the cross, uh, please take this from me. You see, even Jesus knew uh, what it means to suffer, what it means to say, man, like there's got to be better. There's got to be something more than this. And here's where the res what the resurrection does for those of us who suffer. Here's what the resurrection does with our suffering. It actually repurposes it. It reorients it. Rather than tearing us down, if you are in Christ, then your suffering will actually build you up. You see, when Peter uses the word test in verse 7, he's not talking about like an exam that you need, that you take and need to pass. He's talking about uh, this process of tempering, like a precious metal. He says, he says that our faith in suffering is getting tested by fire. And what he's talking about is this process that metal goes through when it's being sort of refined. You see, when a metalsmith first works with metal, uh, uh, it starts in this ore state. O-R-E, it's an ore. Like, no one, you don't see anybody ha uh, walking around with ore necklaces, right, around their neck. And that's because ore isn't usable. It has imperfections. It's pliable. It has no strength. It's got no beauty. And what a metalsmith does is he or she will add just white hot heat to transform the metal so that its nature can be changed and be purified to make it stronger and to make it beautiful. You see, Peter says, when you come to Jesus and are born again, you're like a piece of ore. And it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, those moments of suffering, that the Holy Spirit begins to apply the white hot heat, where he takes your faith to places that you never intended to go in order to produce in you what you cannot do on your own. That's paraphrasing Paul Tripp.
You see, when in our uh, suffering, God takes us, if you're in Christ, to places that um, we maybe would never intend to go in order to produce what we cannot achieve on our own. You see, our suffering no longer breaks us down. It builds us up in Christ. Our God is zealously committed to purifying and strengthening us, to make us beautiful and to bring him glory. I love the way that Eric Mason uh, puts this. He's a pastor on the East Coast uh, from our, our network. He says, God is concerned about one thing and one thing only, that we would look like Jesus. He is spit shining. In other words, God is spit shining like a shoe. He is spit shining us to make us practically into the image of his son. He doesn't send trials to take away our joy, but to, or he doesn't send us trials to take away our joy, but to increase our joy. When I sense that a trial is coming, Dr. Mason says, he says, I pray that God would receive maximum glory out of it. Man, we need to be praying like that. It is in those moments where we wrestle with Jesus in prayer, where we feel the grief of loss, of pain, of weakness, and even lament. It's in those moments that the Lord is using to refine us and to strengthen us. You see, the living hope Jesus provides, it makes us new. It promises us a future, and it practically helps us with the hard stuff in the present. And so now I want us to talk, number three, about how we can actually live that out. How can we sort of activate that hope? Read verse eight with me. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, talking about Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You want to know how to live with resurrection hope? You come to love Jesus for who he really is and what he really has done. You just truly love him. Remember, Christianity is not about finding Jesus and having some relationship with him in some, in some like ethereal sort of abstract way. It's primarily about finding him in history, seeing what's been written about him and revealed about him. It's about learning who he really is and what he really did uh, for you through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and then loving him for it. Loving him for it, rejoicing because of it. You want to know how Jesus dealt with his own suffering? When he, when he was on the way to the cross, I mean, no one suffered more than Jesus on the cross. Not only did he suffer crucifixion, but the Father, God the Father, turned his face away from Jesus on the cross. It wasn't just physical anguish, but it was emotional and spiritual anguish. Where did Jesus find strength and hope in that moment? Hebrews 12 tells us. It says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So how does the author of Hebrews say that, 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 that Jesus endured? Because of the greater joy that was in front of him. You know what that joy was? It wasn't just the joy of heaven because he already had that joy. 
He already had citizenship there. The Bible says that Jesus was sent for the salvation of sinners like you and me. That's his joy. Uh, that's his, his joy. Uh, um, and so when he says that, that, that uh, uh, he, he came for us, that he loved us, when the Bible, the gospel story says that God came to love sinners, to pursue us, that is Jesus's joy. That is the joy uh, that, that fueled the reason that he endured through suffering. Knowing what it make, knowing that is what made, makes him our, our living hope. Knowing that he did that for us makes him our living hope. The fact that he secured our living hope makes him now our living hope. Now does hearing that, does hearing what Jesus did for you through his life, death, and resurrection, does that warm your heart? Does that soften you? Does that woo you uh, to him? Does it charm you? You see, one of the greatest acts of God's amazing grace is when he opens up our hearts to love him. You see, the Bible says we were born dead in our sin with our hearts facing away from God, wanting nothing to do with him. And so if there is any love in your heart for God, it's because he has touched you with his grace, made you born again, alive again in Christ. It's because you've been touched by his transforming grace. If your hope is that your significant other will will fix all that feels off in you, well, then you're gonna be disappointed. But if your hope is, in your, if your hope is uh, maybe that you'll be able to manage uh, the world around you with your job, with your finances, uh, with your promotions maybe, then you're also going to be really, really disappointed. If your hope is in your uh, wealth or your health, I mean, many of us around the world are realizing that those are, do not provide a sturdy foundation either. The message that God is presenting to us in this passage is that uh, rightly placed hope in Christ will not disappoint, and the resurrection is proof of that. You see, having living hope means that our hope is a life that is in Christ. It says It's a life that says yes to following Jesus, to delighting in him, to walking in his ways, knowing that he will be enough regardless of life's circumstances. Your living hope is not the treasures that you're gonna see in heaven, as awesome as that will be. Your living hope is not the people that you'll see in heaven, as awesome as that will be. Your living hope is finding your treasure in the ultimate person, Jesus, our Savior, our rock, and our Redeemer. The one who treasures you, who pursues you, and invites you into his forever family. That is the one in whom our living hope is found. I want you to read our final verse, verse 9. He says, um, I'm going to read eight through nine. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here it is, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, here's what this verse tells us. It tells us that you can have deep joy and hope 
even in the middle of trials and tests and grief because you understand that the trial is a means of drawing you closer to Jesus, showing you more of him and delivering you to the thing that your heart longs for the most, the salvation of your soul. What is the good news that you need to preach to yourself right now? Of all the things that you're grabbing to for hope, of all the things that you're longing to, uh, for, to just to find your identity in, the good news that you should preach to yourself is that hope has already come that you have a loving redeemer in Jesus who will use your trials to refine you until you are without weakness and blemish. So his glory shines through you. The Jesus who pursued you, who loved you, who saved you. You see, Jesus has delivered to us what our hearts long for the most, the salvation of our souls, more of Jesus. That's what we get. You see, Easter Sunday is truly a day of hope, but it's only a shadow of an even greater day that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose, and now all of us who are found in him will rise together at the end of time and enjoy uh, an existence with no pain or pandemics, no sin or no shame. Just a joy that is inexpressible and a life with Jesus our Lord forever. That is our living hope. And it's offered freely to us in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.